I'm Elizabeth Mackey. I am on the training and implementation team with PMHP. Um, we're part of the DMH UCLA Public Mental Health Partnership. Um, this has been a series of trainings using some modules from the Center for Practice Innovations uh, based out of Columbia University in New York City. They are an entity similar to us. They support New York providers, but they've been around much longer and have a lot of training modules online. This is something you have access to, as I mentioned in the last session. Um, if you are a provider in LA County, I, I, we originally um, uh, gotten an allotment of accounts from them for FSP providers. But if you're a provider from a different program, um, that's okay. You can reach out to us and let us know if you would like access to their modules. This slide deck, which will be made available to you, includes a bunch of screenshots. I'll just flip through them here really quickly um, to show you how you can create an account. Um, and most of the info you would need would be there. Okay. So last week, we started by going through a module on engaging sort of the first step of motivational interviewing. We'll wrap that one up since we didn't get through the end of it today. And then we'll move to a module on focusing the strategic direction. So that's step two. Um, and I'll just go through a little bit of refresher, in, refresher for a refresher, refresher info from last week, um, just to get us oriented. So, and for those who did not attend last week, it'll be a little bit of a, a primer on engagement. So motivational interviewing, I think we all, we're all here because we know what this is. It's very helpful for our work, right? Um, let me see, let me switch. There we go. Uh, so I love this quote, if misery cured misbehavior, there would be far less of it. Um, this is from uh, Bill Miller and Stephen Wilnick. They're the authors of Motivational Interviewing um, and the people who basically created this. Um, and what's that, why is that quote sort of interesting? It's, it's, uh, it's meant to show that we aren't really motivated by discomfort and pain for the most part. We're not effectively and sustainably motivated by that. Motivational interviewing is all about helping people connect to um, what they might want to change, identifying what they might want to change and why they might. Um, but generally we're looking to find someone's sort of more life affirming reasons for that, even if there are also, there's some consequence avoidance, but can't, can't totally be misery and consequence avoidance as a reason to change. So motivational interviewing is a collaborative conversation style for strengthening a person's own motivation and commitment to change. Um, it's a guiding style of communication. It's designed to empower people, again, more positively focused. Um, it's autonomy supportive. It aims to draw out their own meaning, importance and capacity for change. And it's based in a respectful and curious way of being with people that facilitates a natural process of change and honors their autonomy. There we go. All right, ambivalence is the thing we're sort of working with here, right? People often feel two different ways about any choice they have to make, any behavior they engage in. Um, sometimes they might feel in, uh, ambivalence uh, in thoughts and feelings about something. Um, the definition is a simultaneous existence of positive and negative evaluations of an attitude object, um, wanting or not wanting something. And it's actually nearly synonymous with cognitive dissonance, which we know of from the CBT world. And why we care about it. 
uh, it's really important to normalize what are often pathologized states of denial or resistance, right? We hear that word from providers thrown around a lot. Uh, when someone doesn't want to do something or isn't willing to do something or isn't identifying that they have an issue that we see as important or that we see as existing. Someone doesn't have, I think I used the example last week of <laughs> putting whiskey in my coffee. I don't know quite how we got there, but um, maybe I don't see an issue with that. Maybe that's just, that's fine. And a provider, if they were working with me and they identified that I did not see an issue with that, they would say I'm in denial. Or if I noticed there was an issue, but I refused to change it, it wasn't a priority, wasn't something I had motivation for, I might be labeled as being resistant. Um, and what's really happening in these cases is there's someone at a particular stage of change and with a level of motivation. Um, and we want to probably uh, identify where people are at around change uh, with those words, right? A little more so. Denial and resistance can be kind of labeling. I know when I hear that from, from anyone, if I, if I did hear it from anyone, I might feel like they really didn't understand me and my goals and resistant isn't something we most, any of us want to be called. So the goal for ambivalence is to develop discrepancy between the present and desired states, um, the power motivation. And I mentioned this last week, but it's really important that that discrepancy be the right size. It can't be too big. It can't be too big of a jump. Um, it can't be too small or insignificant seeming. Um, this is part of what we'll talk about with focusing. Uh, I need the resources and skills for change. Self-efficacy must be present as well. That's something that MI hopes to build via its empowering approach. And something can't be too painful because um, that can trigger avoidance as a self-defense. And here's this quote here. You have not done people any favor if you cause them to believe change is urgent, but beyond their reach. And that's from uh, Miller Ronick's book, Motivational Interviewing. And I, I love that because it's just about finding the right size of the change. And that's such a big piece of, of focusing, um, defining what, what a goal might be and then figuring out the steps to get there. But we can't as providers uh, <laughs> tell them something really needs to change, but have it be uh, something that's completely unattainable to them based off of these three pieces down here. All right, stages of change, just throwing this up here so we can have a little uh, reminder. Most of the time, if we're doing MI, we've got people in contemplation. Um, if we're doing MI and someone's in pre-contemplation, that's fine. The conversation might not move forward periodically because you might have someone, pre-contemplation is when someone is seeing there's no, no issue, they're not contemplating a change. It's not even really on their radar. Um, no intention of changing the behavior. Contemplation is where we will spend a lot of time in MI. And MI exists ongoing as we move around this circle to preparation and action, maintenance and relapse. It always has a role. Um, but identifying what stage of change someone is at uh, is really useful in figuring out and really tailoring the MI approach. Okay, any questions? All right. Uh, today we will get into the continuum of styles. And the most important thing to realize here is that motivational interviewing, while it is considered a somewhat directive intervention, the styles that can exist within any sort of interpersonal or therapeutic approach um, can fit into this continuum. We've got directing over here, which is much more sort of top down, giving information or advice without permission. 
expect, expectation of compliance. So some verbs that might be relevant there would be authorize, administer, conduct, manage, lead. Guiding is where MI likes to sit. Um, this has to do with offering good listening, offering expertise when needed. It's accompanying, collaborative, you're eliciting, you're inspiring, you're laying before, encouraging, supporting, or assisting. And following is a little more of just like super person-centered, like non, not terribly goal-oriented or, or change-focused therapy. Maybe I'm just listening to someone. So you're going along with the client's needs. It's appropriate when no change is warranted and it's support only. So here are some verbs for that, observing, permitting, allowing, comprehending, going along with. And we'll talk about this again in a little bit. To review last week, we talked about listening and engaging skills, the four MI processes of engaging, focusing, evoking, and planning, and the four MI traps of tending to, uh, to rely on assessment, being too much of the expert, having premature focus, and labeling. Right, and we talked about some roadblocks. Uh, what are some common roadblocks to listening? We've got directing, warning, providing solutions, persuading via logic, shooting, lecturing, disagreeing, approving, interesting one, shaming, analyzing, and reassuring. And we talked through some examples on those. Um, and why are these important, right? We, you know, so all of these are sort of responses to what someone says. Um, but the way we respond uh, with reflective listening is one of the key ways that we can let people know we understand them and that can help them move their own reflective process forward. We also talked about pace. That's uh, the spirit of MI, a way of being with clients. We've got partnership, acceptance, compassion, and evocation. And we left off with oars. And that uh, includes the skills that are used for listening and engaging, such as open-ended questions instead of closed-ended, affirmations, reflective listening, and summaries. I'm gonna, oh, there we go, you got it. Uh, so we left off looking at some summaries and identifying which ones were the best ones. Okay. All right, hopefully everyone can see this. Now I've lost all your faces. I'm gonna try and bring those back. Okay, there we go. So this is where we left off, reflective listening. Uh, the R in the ORS skill. Um, let's talk about some types of reflective listening principles or types of reflections. Um, when we are making a reflection, we can reflect both what someone is saying in terms of like content and thoughts and their feelings. Um, that's something that this doesn't get into in depth, but these are, when we are thinking about a complex reflection, that might be something to consider. Also, it can occur with a simple reflection. Um, so simple reflections just repeat what's been said, maybe with like a slight rephrasing. You might substitute a word, you might add in some modifiers if you have enough sort of sense of what the person is saying and meaning um, to do so. Uh, making simple reflections really impactful happens usually best once you know someone a bit better and can make some inferences, right? Complex reflections are also something that can hinge on having some additional knowledge. But if you really practice a skill um, and looking at what someone says, if they can, if you can get a few sentences out of them, there's a good chance you will be able to reflect all of what they're saying at once and then perhaps a bit more. 
So complex reflections um, emphasize or add meaning to what a person says. It reads between the lines and gets at what a person is feeling and what they would say next. So it's a little bit anticipatory. You're kind of nudging or, or perhaps leading just a little bit. Simple reflections can make, if, if that's all you've got to work with, a conversation might sort of peter out at a point because it'll just be sentence, sentence, sentence. Um, but here's some examples. Uh, let's look at a simple reflection here. Um, let's see here. If a, a client has said, let's wait for that to come up. I'm feeling pretty angry today. Um, what could I say? I could say, you're feeling angry. You're feeling kind of mad, pretty mad. Those are examples. And how about complex? So here we have the example of everyone tells me, keeps telling me to quit smoking weed, that I would feel better and healthier. They just don't understand how much I need it to relax. Uh, an example of a complex reflection there is just the idea of not smoking weed makes you feel anxious. So that's interesting because I didn't see anything in there about anxiety, but the provider is looking at what they're saying. They just don't understand how much I need it to relax. And they're choosing anxious as a, a feeling or, or physiological experience to um, fit with, I need this to relax. So it's taking it a step further. Is that making sense to everyone? Okay. All right, so we can go through some examples here and I'm not gonna type in sentences because I think that's gonna be very difficult, but I am just gonna have some examples come up. So here's a statement by Julia. I don't know exactly what you do here, but I feel like I'm falling apart. I don't have any in energy. I don't know what's going on with me. Maybe I need some pills. Um, so a response to that might be, you're not sure I can help, but hope that medication might make you feel better. I see a comment from Cindy, isn't that making an assumption? Yes, it is. In some cases, it might be an inference. It might be something that you uh, determine is the best guess uh, on uh, sort of uh, putting into words what you think the person is feeling and what they might, where they might want to go in the conversation. You're pulling from a lot of like bits of evidence, honestly. This is why like that, you know, reflections seem sort of easy, but then there's a lot of skillfulness in this. You're you're thinking maybe about everything you know about the client. You're thinking about context. You're thinking about their other goals, thinking about, um, you know, just yeah, lots of details. De uh, depends on the person and the situation. But what you can do often is get it wrong. And that's, it's, there's always a risk that if I had, if someone had said, I just need this to relax. And I said, yeah, you're, you're feeling pretty anxious about this. And they were like, no, I don't feel anxious. I just said I wanted to relax. Then I get to say, oh, okay, I got that wrong. Uh, help me understand better. Um, or uh, that might be an opportunity to sort of pivot in a different direction. Honestly, um, in an ideal situation, getting, getting reflections wrong or getting empathy wrong, which we, you know, empathy is sort of the biggest skill that we use. If, if we get it wrong, well, hopefully we have the grace and the space to try it again with a client, hopefully the relationship allows that. And if not, we need to work on sort of other relationship foundational pieces to have that space. Um, it's hard to say, some people might wanna tell us we're getting it wrong all the time because that's part of the way they relate to others. MI isn't perfect in every situation, but yeah, I would say it's making a bit of an educated guess on uh, what the person's feeling. 
And sometimes getting that wrong and then trying again can just be a way to help someone still talk about and refine what their experience is. All right, another example, <clears throat> statement by Julia. I just broke up with my boyfriend. He's really distant. He won't talk to me. He thinks I'm, I'm cheating on him. Excuse me, he thinks I'm cheating on him. Anyway, he told me I'm crazy. So you felt your boyfriend had such negative feelings about you that you had to stop seeing him. That probably isn't the reflection I would make, but it's an example. Cindy, I see you saying, I like to say after making an assumption, is that what I'm hearing you say? Tell me if I'm on track, something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. If you, if you feel like you're jumping a little bit from what the person exactly said, or, you know, truly just using synonyms, great to check in. Great to say, is that right? Did I get that right? I want to make sure I'm understanding you. And I want to make sure you, you're hearing me understand you. Great. Another example statement by Julia. I don't know. I just lost it. I don't usually act like that. It's embarrassing even to tell you about. An uh, example of a reflection might be, you don't remember even acting like this before. You don't remember ever acting like this before, excuse me. You feel pretty badly about it. Okay, and we'll just get that last example. All right, exploring values and goals. So this is uh, something that's, oops, excuse me. Let me get my other, there we go. Um, this is something that's really critical for engaging and also setting the stage for what you're going to focus on. So finding out a person's values and goals, right? We do, we do a lot of assessment on, uh, assessment on what a person is experiencing and what they want to work on. Um, this is sort of no different. It's just a way of in integrating that focus into the conversation via an MI lens. Um, so this will help support a relationship of trust. You're going to understand where a person is coming from and what they really value. So not just goals around, you know, um, uh, diagnoses or uh, getting um, benefits or some other sort of whatever task that is your job description. Values and goals have to do, in this case, with like things they really just value, value that are really important to them. They really care about. They might have a passion about something that's a little more core to their being perhaps. Um, when you're exploring a person's values with them, it's really important to respect and accept them, whatever they may be. We can't, we can't necessarily change that. We might be able to, in some points, change people's sort of thoughts and beliefs about stuff, but their values sometimes can be a bit more set. It takes a lot of deep sort of transformation for someone to really change their values. Um, so, and that's really not the job of MI. We're talking about just changing some ways of thinking and behavior motivation. All right, genuine interest in understanding, really important. You don't need to agree or approve to understand and accept. All right. So let's look at some examples of things you could say to explore someone's values and goals. Um, tell me what you care about most. If you think about your life a few years from now, what do you hope would be different? If your closest friends were here, what do you think they would say matters most to you? And what rules and values do you try to live by? And finally, if you were to write a motto for your life, what would you write? Do you all have any other examples? Is there anything else that you would say? Any other questions you ask folks to identify their values and goals? All right, well, if you have any, throw it in the chat. 
value card sort. So this is an example of an activity you could do to figure out someone's values and goals to really um, deep, have a deeper understanding in a really non-clinical way as to what matters most to them and what might motivate them. Um, so in this, and in this uh, exercise, you would give folks cards with like just words on them around values and goals. They could be um, things like adventure, belonging, um, things that are, are again, less clinical. And you would have them sort them into piles of not important, important or very important, and then take the very importance and have them rank those. Um, choose like, if there are too many, have them choose a top three or five, and then figure out how those have implications for what you're working on um, in the greater context of your work together as a provider and client. And then also how it fits into anything they um, are having some ambivalence around, how it fits into that discrepancy we're trying to bring out, um, and those are things that you can carry with you and reference um, as, as you'll have a better understanding of what their overarching values and goals are. Okay, so let's switch to the next. And start moving. Okay, so we're now gonna talk about the part two of building conversations about change, which focuses on focusing. Um, let's see, we don't need to know how to do that. Oops. One of these has volume that I want you all to hear. So just let me get to that first. It's not this. Okay, so we have an example of a client here. Um, this will be Jacob. He was referred to a mental health clinic after completing a medically monitored inpatient detox program. He, um, that was to address acute alcohol withdrawal. Everyone involved in the situation has a goal that you could address. So we're gonna see some goals popping up here and I'm gonna let them keep popping up. Um, so that everyone that's been involved, again, we've got Jacob, mental health clinic and the detox program. Uh, so the inpatient detox program's goal was to prevent relapse and readmission. We've got that up here in the top right. Um, Jacob might also want to talk about, because he's a human, um, problems in his marriage, anger about invasion of privacy, fear of having his children taken out of the home, and embarrassment, and the need to preserve self-esteem, and the impact of his alcohol use on his children. Others may have goals as well, such as his wife and his children. Um, and you might have goals for Jacob too, including helping him manage his lingering withdrawal symptoms or just use and deciding whether medication could, can help with this. So what, what could or should be the focus here? So there's so much, right? Like everyone's got a goal for him. He has some for himself. Where, how do we figure out what to do? What do we work on first? Is it Jet, I mean, what is it impact of alcohol use on the children because of children? I mean, how many different ways could we sort of orient ourselves here? Is it, um, is it strictly preventing readmission? Is that because that's, that's going to help with who knows what? There's so many different directions this could be taken. So you could easily drift among these goals without a clear sense of direction. And this could end up being frustrating for everyone involved, right? Um, and you might lose them. Engagement might go away. And what you want, we want to do here as a provider is find out how to maintain a productive direction. So uh, we're going to go through the strategies and tools for collaborating with a person to find and maintain focus. Okay.
And this is just gonna have um, an outline of what we're gonna go through. It will take about probably 25 minutes since we're doing it out loud. We're gonna start with what is focusing, defining it. We'll talk about levels of focus. We'll talk about provider issues and focusing, what we bring to the relationship that may impact uh, what's, fo what's focused upon. And then exchanging information, the illicit provide illicit process. And some quick objectives. Um, by the end of this module, we hope you'll be able to define MI's focusing process using a guide, guiding style of counseling to work with a person collaboratively and find direction. You'll identify the three levels of focus that a provider might encounter, the common provider issues, and how to use illicit, provide illicit. All right, so let's get into some definitions. Um, what is focusing? It is an ongoing process of looking for and maintaining direction. It's a collaborative process uh, where you work together with a person to identify specific attainable goals. Um, it takes time. This is something that isn't immediate. Focusing comes after engaging, and it's something that will have to happen on repeat ongoing, right? Circumstances change, people meet their goals or they redefine their goals, motivation changes, new factors come in and out of their lives. So focusing is a skill that we uh, have to use ongoing. Um, again, we might settle on one goal now and then later shift to a different goal. Okay. Um, so focus and direction can come from three different places. Uh, three of the most common are the person, the setting, and the provider. So Cindy, I see your comment. We work on what he wants to work on first. And I absolutely, this is sort of the core of MI is we, we just certainly follow what the, what the client sees as important. But some of these other sources might have some insight into maybe there's something that needs to happen before um, their explicitly stated goal can be worked on. Maybe there's like some, maybe there's um, an antecedent, maybe there's a, a step one or a step uh, 0.5. So for person, Um, people commonly seek help to address specific concerns and or achieve particular goals, right? This is the person bringing up their concerns. So examples would be like, I would like to get a job on my own so I can find a place to live on my own. I've been having trouble getting out of bed in the morning and finding the energy to do anything. All right, we're all familiar with this. What about the setting? That's a little bit more interesting. So the type of program or agency where services are being provided uh, could maybe be the source of focus. Like, why is the person coming to this place? If you're an educational program, maybe that is uh, what that sort of sets the, the goal for the work together, whereas the education program isn't going to focus on something else. Um, so perhaps someone has a goal, um, uh, a, a person goes to a smoking cessation clinic, you might assume that smoking cessation would be their goal. Again, something really specific. Um, but it is important still to confirm that to confirm that, that is their goal as they may have different goals um, that would fit within a different setting still. Does that make sense? So there's still gonna be some overlap, even if you're in sort of in a specific environment or program for FSP, you all have the focus of uh, working with folks with mental health issues there might be some additional things that uh, you can 
attend to that might be part of someone's goals um, outside of that. And that's the provider um, focus. So often a person will seek services with one goal in mind, of course, and during the collaborative work together, the provider might recognize that changing another behavior, such as drug use, for example, will help the person achieve their goal. So maybe they want housing or a job and drug use needs to be worked on first, even if they identified that um, they, they wanted this other thing. Um, the challenge is for the provider to help the person recognize the relationship between the suggested focus and the original goal. So some examples, a woman is interested in getting a job so that she can move into her own apartment. The provider wants to introduce the relationship between her unmanaged depression and job performance. Okay. Um, so maybe the depression has to be managed a little bit better for her to get the job so she can have her own apartment. Another example, a man is working very hard towards quitting smoking, which he has a strong desire to do for both financial and health reasons. The provider notices that he is more likely to smoke when drinking and believes that quitting or reducing alcohol use might increase his chances to successfully quit smoking. Okay. Some of these could look like telling someone what they should do first. Um, so it must be done. All of these conversations must occur using MI skills by, by the book. Otherwise, we are going to end up in a situation where the we are seeing, we're doing that expert lens, or we've determined um, there's a premature focus on something that the client hasn't identified that they'd like to work on. So the process of saying, um, uh, we let's work on the depression first so we can support the job and support getting the future apartment, that really still needs to be elicited from the individual. We need to get to a place where the client is identifying that yeah, actually their depression is a bit of a barrier to these other goals. And so then it becomes a goal. Okay. So we just uh, looked at these. We've got um, all of these styles of focusing um, and guiding is where we want to be. Uh, directing is where we determine the focus, following is where the individual uh, determines the focus, and we want to be collaborative. We want to stay in the middle here. <clears throat> so um, one of the things that we talk about occurring with um, within this continuum is that there's a bit of a writing reflex. When we work with folks, especially those who are engaging in uh, risky behaviors that have difficult consequences for them, harmful consequences for them in particular, or high risk, uh, there's a desire to certainly intervene and set the focus uh, to protect that person. Um, so the writing reflex also can be, we speak about it a lot in trainings around the overprotect neglect continuum, which kind of maps onto this continuum here, um, the tendency to want to intervene and direct things more so than we perhaps should and uh, neglect would be at the other side of if someone is experiencing um, a lot of consequences, there's great risk, um, following would be a bit neglectful because we, we don't wanna just follow someone in their pain, we do wanna find a way to um, intervene one way or another. All right. So for this, I am going to turn on volume. Hopefully you all can hear this. 
Here's an example of a provider using a guiding style to determine a focus. As you watch, look for ways that both the person's goals and the provider's expertise are used in determining the direction. Can you all hear that? Can I get a thumbs up or some nods? Great, okay, just wanted to check that first and then we'll watch this video. Hi, Monica. I am glad you came in today to see me. Tell me what has been going on. Well, I've been feeling very anxious and sad and I'm having problems at home, at school, and I'm having a hard time around my friends. I just feel like things aren't going well for me and I'm not sure what to do about it. I just feel confused. You know you're not feeling great, but it is hard to figure out how to make things better. Yes, and I'm so tired of all this. It sounds like a lot is going on. I have some ideas on how we can start. Is it okay if I share them with you? Yeah, sure. Well, sometimes when a person is grappling with a number of concerns and problems, they can end up feeling pretty overwhelmed and not know what to do. Yes, that is exactly where I'm at. Maybe we can take some time and see if we can sort out what has been happening. Does that sound okay? Yes, I would like that. You have been feeling pretty anxious, and those feelings are making it hard at school, at home, and with your friends. Do I have that right? Yes, pretty close. Is it okay if I ask you a few more questions? Sure. Of those concerns, feeling anxious, feeling sad, having trouble at home, at school, and with your friends, which one would you say you are most concerned about? Being anxious? I hate those feelings, and I just want to stay in my room. So maybe we can start with why you have been feeling so anxious, and then see if we can come up with some ideas on how to lessen your anxiety. How does that sound? Good. Now, let's move on and talk about... Hush up, robot person. Okay, levels of focus. So we have three levels of focus. Um, what do we think? What do we think about the skills we just saw used in that example? I thought it was kind of nice how she uh, gave some affirmation to. There's just a, you could go a number of different directions. It must be overwhelming, and we're going to work on this together. What did you all see? Any skills? Any particular? Is there some reflection being used? Some open-ended questions? We'll talk about asking permission in a little bit. That's something I saw. Did that seem like a realistic summarizing? Great, thank you. Did that seem like a realistic conversation that you could have with someone? Yeah, okay, great. Collaboration, yeah. Okay, so levels of focus. Um, when we're looking at the direction of the conversation and kind of what what it could take, what the shape uh, that it could take would be, um, we've got three sort of examples of what that could look like, clear options and unclear. So for a clear, sometimes the focus is clear. This can happen if you work in a service with a narrowly defined focus. Um, such as like, again, a smoking cessation clinic or an education program, um, and, or the person comes to you with a really specific goal and they're ready to make changes. Um, so they're already like in contemplation or preparation perhaps, and 
there, it doesn't appear that there's a whole lot of other stuff to get done first to enable there to be fewer barriers to achieving that goal that they've set out for. Um, <clears throat> for options, this is, I know what my goal is, but I'm not sure what would work best to get there. So sometimes there are a number of different possibilities to focus on. Um, <laughs> this is probably our most frequent experience. So like, wow, there's so much, where do we start? <laughs> During collaborative discussions, a person may raise a number of different concerns and wishes they would want to work on. And when this happens, a provider works collaboratively with the person to identify where to start. Um, so you would have the person identify if there are areas they would like to address first or making changes in a particular area can help them achieve a personal goal. Those are ways to start. Um, what do we know about like behavioral activation or what do we know about self-efficacy when people just start with something, you know, there's, there's a benefit and achieving a goal that's empowering and it can uh, provide hope and confidence that they can do that again. So sometimes with options, maybe we just start with something, anything uh, to be accomplishing alongside determining what the focus is going to be. Uh, agenda mapping is a technique also that can help you and the person focus when the person presents with multiple problems or desires. Um, so that's something that you can dive into. This module actually includes um, uh, a bit of information on that in the resources section of it, which is something you could look at on your own time if you make a CPI account. Unclear. So this is when a person says, I'm not sure what I want to work on. Um, they don't have a clear concern or goal. They just know something needs to change. They're there because there's a problem, they're distressed, they're um, dissatisfied, something isn't moving the way they want it to in their lives, um, or maybe they're mandated, maybe they're sort of forced to work with you and they're not really clear on what to work on. Uh, in this situation, you're gonna really, really heavily rely on your clinical skills to help the person define and move towards a specific goal. For example, you might point out patterns in relationships I'm sorry, or relationships that you observe. And you can use like the, the value card sort um, as an example of an exercise to help the person identify what's important to them. So does anyone work with anyone where they, they're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm, I have to be here or I want to be here, but I don't know where to start. Things like that. I'm not sure what you can do for me. Somewhat with FSP, it can sometimes be more challenging and unclear to focus. Okay, so that you are experiencing that, Risha. Thanks, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Okay. Yes, all the time. Okay. Maybe unclear is a little bit more of the FSP experience, perhaps. Okay. And I love the strategy of pointing out patterns, right? Just just continuing to talk with someone in an exploratory way around their values and goals, um, what their experiences are, uh, what their relationships look like, and seeing if you can pick up themes, seeing if you can pick up what, what are some uh, target areas to work on. Okay. So let's do... A little practice. Um, so in this case, uh, we've got a video 
I will turn the volume on. Here Today, I'd like to spend some time talking about your goals and deciding what things we focus on in our work together. How does that sound to you? Fine. Okay, great. In your view, Sheena, what is the most important thing for us to work on right now? I'd really like to lose weight. Losing weight is something you would like to do. Tell me more about that. I have some health issues and being overweight doesn't help. Your health is important to you and losing weight would help with that. I also feel lonely sometimes and I wish I spent more time with friends or maybe dating. I also want to volunteer. Hmm, there are a number of things you're interested in working on. I also get really mad sometimes and I don't know why. I don't think that's good for me either. Based on this conversation, what level of focus are they in? Okay, what do you all think? What's going on? Clear options or unclear? I'm seeing it. two options, options, options. There's an unclear. Okay, I see a majority of options. I'm gonna go with options. All right, correct. So although Sheena starts out with one thing that is most important for her to work on, she lists several options she wants to address, right? She's got some other stuff. Um, when there are options to choose from, the provider can help the person prioritize and decide where they would like to focus. Okay, let's talk about some provider issues in focusing. To the next one. All right, so our first one is tolerating uncertainty. I'll just click on each of these as we go through. You may be tempted to try to solve problems. All right, um, and tolerating uncertainty. And again, this is these are the provider issues. This is our experience of what, what might come up when we're working on focusing. When, when, when someone comes to us and says, I have this primary goal and I have a million other goals, or I don't know what to work on at all, or they've identified, they're very, very set on a goal and we think it might not be a feasible goal. Um, what, what we need to work on in these instances are these three areas of tolerating uncertainty, sharing control and searching for strengths. Um, so in this case, you might be tempted to try to solve problems for the person. That's the writing reflex we just talked about a few minutes ago. I feel you need to move the conversation along. Um, so to, be, to gain certainty, to figure things out, to get things organized. I would say this is also sort of like tolerating disorganization and um, lack of clarity perhaps. Premature focus, which we discussed last week is a trap that can create discord in the collaborative relationship. That's when we're jumping ahead and saying like, I see the path, don't you? Um, that's problematic. It will, it will impact engagement and it will uh, stunt the person's understanding and connection to the steps they need to take. Uh, to reach your goals. And so it's helpful to develop an ability to tolerate uncertainty as the person you're working with tries to identify goals they might be interested in achieving. So how do we do that? How do we tolerate it? We talk about this experience with our, our colleagues in team meetings and supervision. 
we need to reflect on it, come to trainings, <laughs> just talk about what it's like to sort of work with someone. And especially again, those who are really experiencing um, high risk uh, related to their choices or are in a lot of distress, this can be really difficult to sort of sit back and think about like, okay, the path is not clear yet. They certainly aren't uh, clear on it. So I need to uh, be patient. Radical acceptance is a really good skill to use here to tolerate uncertainty. Um, so to say, I'm just accepting this is where we're at. There's not a clear path. There is risk, there is distress. Um, I'm doing the best clinical intervention I can to not force or, or uh, expedite this process before the person's ready. Okay, sharing control. Um, <clears throat> so at times during the focusing process, you might wonder if you're losing direction in the conversation. Um, if someone starts wandering off on a, a tangent of some form or focusing on the goals that you kind of wish they wouldn't. Uh, so in these situations, it's really helpful to remain confident that sharing control uh, is gonna ultimately support arriving in a good place and having a clearer focus. It's really important to give the person space to explore and influence the direction of conversation while offering that gentle guidance. And if you sense discord, hesitation, or, or pushback, you might uh, try leading the conversation and you may be trying to lead the conversation in a direction the person isn't willing to go. This was popularly called, um, or the, the strategy for having this occur and what the provider should do, it used to be called rolling with resistance. I think Miller and Ronick have renamed it something something else that's not quite as catchy uh, to get rid of resistance uh, being used as a term since it's kind of labely. Um, I think it has something to do, there's some verb in the word discord, again, not as catchy, but rolling with resistance, sharing control. If someone pushes back and says, no, this isn't what I wanna talk about, we say, okay, no problem. That's, that's, that's no problem. What would you like to talk about? Let me make sure I'm, I'm clear on your priorities right now. Um, and this is just all about not uh, inducing defensiveness, defendedness, and to help someone continue to feel affirmed so they can have that sort of validated, so they can really get to that place of feeling sort of safe and free to reflect on some difficult things in their life. Searching for strengths. All right, that has to do with uh, providers are uh, being faced with a need to complete tasks as part of their daily work. That could be like assessments or dealing with crises. And traditionally treatment has also focused on problems to be solved and deficits to be addressed. So this makes it really easy to miss opportunities for change and recognizing strengths. This has a little bit to do with that values and goals stuff where like, you know, assessment for goals related to deficits or, or uh, diagnoses isn't necessarily, it can't be everything. Um, we have to sort of be more strengths focused and it's important to consciously listen for that change talk to cons and consider a person's strengths. Okie doke. And we are gonna do another video real quick. Omar is a provider at Hopewell Apartment Treatment Program. He is meeting with Ray to check in, aware that Ray sometimes runs out of food at the end of the month. During the conversation, Omar realizes he needs to share control with Ray to determine the best direction forward. As you listen to their conversation, see how Omar meets this need. Hi, Ray. How's it going? Okay, but I keep running out of money. Oh, yeah? 
Tell me more about that. I don't get much to begin with, and at the end of the month I have nothing. You don't receive much to begin with, and it's impossible to make it last till the end of the month. Exactly. What do you tend to spend money on? Food, bills, bus. A lot of it goes toward food, bills, and the bus. Anything else? Well, I smoke, and packs are expensive. Smoking is another expense you have. What do you think would help you have money all the way till the end of the month? I don't know, Omar. You tell me. I don't know either, actually, because each person is different. Maybe I could budget better. I don't think about my spending at the beginning of the month. I just buy what I want. You notice at the beginning of the month, you don't think about how much you're spending and just buy whatever interests you. That's self-aware. I don't really know where my money goes, to be honest. Sounds like a good place to start. Maybe we can work together to figure out how to budget your money so it lasts through the month. What do you think? Okay. So what do we see occurring here? How many instances could the provider have stepped in and done some of those provider issues things like um, <clears throat> searching for strengths, sharing, or I'm sorry, where did you see examples of the provider uh, tolerating uncertainty, sharing control and searching for strengths? To many of us, there might be an obvious answer here around the, the smoking and budgeting issue, but if we sort of jump in and spell that out or um, really direct the conversation, um, it's probably not gonna produce as much response from the client. All right. Uh, just a few minutes left. So let's talk about exchanging information. Um, we'll get into the details of elicit, provide, elicit. And this is actually a very simple process. Um, so when you're using this approach, this is the, um, when you need, need or want to share some information using sort of two layers of open-ended questions and sandwiching the information in the middle is the way to go. Um, this approach engages the person and honors their expertise and autonomy. So what we wanna do um, before we provide information is ask permission. Is it okay if I share some information with you? I wonder if it would be okay if I told you a little bit about this. Um, what do you think about hearing some information? How would you feel about that? So you wanna first explore the person's prior knowledge what have you learned about this before? What do you know about smoking? Um, find out if they're interested in hearing the information you would like to share. And this is gonna help you focus on the information most important to you. So some more examples, would you like to know about the relationship between alcohol and depression? What information would you find the most helpful? Right, providing. So the second step is to provide. And in this case, we wanna prioritize. Uh, so focus on what the person wants or needs to know. We don't wanna get too broad, we wanna be clear, avoid jargon, use everyday language, um, use small amounts of information. We wanna support autonomy, avoid talking down and sounding like the know-it-all expert. Um, we wanna not really uh, give advice ever without permission. That's perhaps even worse than giving information. Um, and we don't wanna use words that are coercive like must or can't. Um, and we need to allow room for the person to disagree and share alternate information that they might have. And finally, we wanna avoid prescribing the person's response. So that means um, present what you know without interpreting its meaning for the person, okay? 
Oh, that sound good. So at the end uh, here for the third step, um, we want to elicit again. Um, and this is, uh, Cindy, what you were talking about. Uh, we want to check in with the person, what they think about the information that was shared. Did they understand it? Um, make sure that we got their sense of their understanding right. Um, and if they have sort of a, an interesting response or a notable response to the information, really exploring that. So some examples might be, you look puzzled after hearing about the relationship between alcohol and depression. So just doing some reflections, just throwing that out there and seeing what comes of it. Uh, what if this feels true for you? So if you provide a lot of information, what parts fit, what parts don't for your experience and what do you make of all this? Okay. Next uh, slide here, we've got um, an example of a client, uh, Ron. He was high on cocaine and was picked up by the police for disorderly conduct. Uh, Ron has a history of psychiatric problems and drug use. And the court mandated him to outpatient treatment at the local mental health center. Ron lives alone, but he doesn't see, he does see his parents on the weekend. This is Ron's first appointment. He spent time uh, spent the first part of the appointment getting to know Ron and beginning to build the relationship and understanding his goals. You're at a point where you believe some information about cocaine might be helpful. So here are two different approaches to the initial meeting with Ron. Um, and I'm gonna ask you to read these and then determine which one's more effective. In this case, we've got the provider saying out the gate, let me tell you about using, let me tell you that using cocaine will make your depression and anxiety worse and cause insomnia. Ron says, why do you keep harping on me about my Coke? I don't even want to be here. Provider says, you're here because you're using Coke and your behavior got out of control and you ended up being arrested. Aren't you worried about this? Ron says, maybe a little. Provider says, and what do your parents think about all of this? Ron says, they're on my back all the time. All right, and we're gonna stop there because I think that's enough information. And then what's approach B? So the provider begins with, if it's okay with you, let's take a step back for a moment and talk a little bit about cocaine, how it works and what effect it has. First, let me tell you what you already know about cocaine and how it affects people. Um, the provider says also, um, it sounds like you've really thought about this and now you're not sure whether using cocaine is making things worse or better. Another provider statement is, uh, the cocaine is starting to get you in spots you don't like, a reflection. I think that's enough of a gist there without getting into the whole transcript in the interest of time. So which approach might be more effective, do you think? B, yes, for sure. <laughs> so what aspects of this approach make it more effective? Oops, sorry. Um, why was approach A less effective? What did the provider do that was less effective? seems like you used a lot of closed-ended questions, which we would have seen if we moved through that. So gave advice, talked down. Great. Okay. Closed-ended questions, yeah. Well, I'm noticing the time. We probably could have stood for another three minutes just to wrap this, these, this little quiz up here at the end. But in lieu of that, let's just move to the conclusion so I can give you all an about. It's very brief if you can fill it out. It'd be wonderful to help us figure out if we want to keep doing these, if they're helpful, um, and any other feedback that you might have. But today we've talked about uh, the last part of engaging, which is reflective listening. 
Uh, we talked about identifying values and goals. Um, and then we switched over to talking about focusing and using a guiding style of counseling to work with a person collaboratively to find direction. We identified the three levels of focus, um, which would have been uh, unclear, clear, and options. And we talked about understanding provider issues, uh, including tolerating uncertainty, sharing control, searching for strengths and openings for change. And then we just touched on elicit, provide, elicit. Um, in the chat, you'll see a link to the evaluation. If you can, please fill that out. Again, any feedback you wanna give is wonderful. Um, this is sort of our first time trying out using these modules and hybrid with training and you may love it, you may not. Um, please remember you also in the slide deck have access to, um, uh, sorry, it has instruction on how to gain access to the CPI modules that I've been using here. So you can do that on your own time. And some people have been asking about accessing uh, examples. Um, these modules are super interactive as you've been seeing me use. There's the option to have audio. I've just not been doing that. Um, so you're, you can do deeper practice and exploration with them. Um, we do have full MI trainings frequently. If you check our website and calendar, you can see that uh, our MI offerings um, and when they are on our calendar. Um, where did you say the instructions are? They are in the slide deck, which we will email out to you, I believe. Is that right, Sasha or whoever my Zoom support is? We'll see what the answer is there. Okay, any other questions, feel free to stay on and ask. Um, thank you so much for your attention and participation. Um, and hope to see you all again soon when we're doing our next trainings.